Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Inland Valley Arts and Literature podcast. Uh, today, we've got six poets who are going to talk about art in the Inland Valley. I'm John Branningham. I'm Tim Hatch. I'm Stephanie Hammer. I'm Kate Flannery. Ken Johnson. I'm Anthony Okay, and today we're talking about, uh, I've forgotten the name of it. It's, it's, a, it's a beautifully painted building in downtown Pomona. Uh, Tim, could you remind me the name of the building? Sure. So it's the School of Arts and Enterprise, or uh, Visee, S-A-E, um, which is a, there's a high school and a middle school. I believe that building is the middle school. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, uh, as I was uh, saying, um, it's, uh, it's a charter school, and charter schools are a, a, a frustrating conundrum because they do all these wonderful things. And this school particularly does a lot of wonderful things for the community. The, the community it serves uh, genuinely is well served by the, by the school. But man, uh, they are, uh, I guess, unkind uh, would be my, my word of choice uh, to their staff and to their faculty. And um, I did not work there. My wife worked there for two years, and that is purely, I don't even know that she would put it in those words. But what I witnessed versus what I have seen uh, for the last four years of her working at just a normal public school is a world of difference. And it's, it's literally the difference between... Uh, you know, when she works a football game or chaperones a dance, she is paid whatever nominal fee for her time, like an employee <laughs> whose time is worth something, as opposed to all of the expectations of, you'll just show up and do this for free. And uh, anyway, there's, there's a lot more I could go on about, but uh, I, I'll just say that I have an issue with charter schools. And uh, is, is it kind of couched in like this, you are part of a sacred priesthood who just goes and does stuff and you will come to this football game because that's part of the, the mission of, of the school? Well, I would probably say yes with a instinctively say yes, but I'm also getting sort of a nodding head and a thumbs up from off camera over here. Um, are you taking off? I am. I, I'm sorry. I know you're recording, but for a charter school, it's more, uh, if you believe in the mission, then you would gladly your time. Can you hear that? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you give me a smooch on camera? Hi, <laughs> guys. Drive smooth. Hi. Hey. Well, I, and I think that ties in that, that ties in beautifully with the the idea that they're doing really wonderful things for the community. Maybe not so for the the employees, right? With the the art, which is I I, I find if you've never seen the building, take a trip to downtown. Pomona. It's really beautiful. It's painted all the way around it. It's, it's right ne- near the dock. Yeah. All, yeah the which I have a question. Who yeah. did the painting? Was it the students? Um, as I understand it, it was a an influential teacher in one year, and uh, they kind of showed up, and it was it was painted. But I could be. I, I, excuse me. I got some information on that on that article that I put on the chat. Um, the guy des- who designed it was a, an L.A. artist named Andre Mirapolsky, and a multimedia artist. And the he had a team of people who worked on it. I'm I'm looking for them now, but one of the people was um, a teacher there. One of the artists was a teacher there, 
who had, I'm sorry, a graduate of the place mm. who had come back to, to help just because she wanted to. I'm almost, here we go. Um, Bisco Smith of Venice, Paul Juno of North Hollywood, and Christian Ornelas of Pomona. And um, that last person is the one who is a graduate, I believe. Well, and I, I think it, you know, it really is a, a wonderful uh, statement for the community. It makes it makes the downtown Pomona really vibrant and beautiful. Not that it wasn't already, but I mean, it really adds to that. But it sounds like also that this is donated time. Uh, which well, is- for a lot of the for a lot of the faculty who work there, yeah. And mm-hmm. I just to repeat what Annette was saying, yeah. The idea is that if you believe in the school's mission, then you'll be willing to sacrifice for the higher calling. Um. Which is great and all, but I can tell you that the uh, the turnover that school has, I hear all kinds of stuff about that school because of, she hears all kinds of things about the school. I don't think anyone she worked with is still there, and she wow. left four years ago. So um. as much as that, as much as the it's servicing the community and doing a great job of it, wouldn't it, in theory anyway, be servicing it that much better if the faculty were happy and dedicated to staying there. And I mean, I I think there's something to be said for uh, a stable roster of teachers who care deeply about the institution and the people and the community around it. And the teachers are part of the community. I'm sorry, Kate. Yeah. One of the things that struck me about the, it just was the name of the place, the school of the arts and enterprise. Um, You you don't, you, you don't often see arts and enterprise coupled Hmm. Um, in organizations or in projects. And it might be interesting to see, I mean, there's a, um, there's a, a, a kind of corporate mentality that, that sometimes happens when you're working with or for uh, for-profit organizations. And of course, this isn't for-profit, but um, charter schools are a little bit of that. I mean, charter schools are a little bit of nonprofit, a little bit of, of uh, for-profit in the sense that they really want to, you know, run run things according to their philosophy or according to um, what they believe in, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But uh, it, it it struck me that what you were talking about, Tim, in terms of attitude toward employees is is sort of comparable to what you see in sort of the corporate world where in 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 many cases not in all and certainly not in a lot of small businesses but um the attitude is you know we're here we're here for the business we're here for the enterprise um and and some of them take it to the extreme and basically chew up their employees and spit them out um as as a lawyer, I I've gotten to see some of those in 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 law firms, and it's just rampant in that world. Um, particularly, I've got a daughter who went through that, so it's really um, I, I I just was really struck by the use of the word enterprise, and I, I'd really be curious to see how that name came to be. Um, why why that name? I believe one of the philosophies of the school is to teach their students how to be working artists. Um, I believe that, uh, uh, and I wish uh, I wish I'd thought to prepare more, to be honest with you. But uh, um, 
Yeah, I know that uh, part of what they do, and, and I like, for example, I had I got my uh, master's in fine arts and poetry at Cal State San Bernardino, and uh, my biggest criticism of the program was that there was almost zero attention paid to professional uh, professionalization. Mm-hmm. Um, I I got a lot out of it. Oh, sorry, Stephanie, you're muted, but I got a lot out of it. But that's because I threw myself in. Like they, I asked, the, I remember asking them at the start of the program, like, "Help us make a CV," and uh, they said, "We'll do that in spring." Like, well, I need a CV to hand out so that I can get hired by spring. So mm-hmm. actually, what I did was I went to John and asked for his CV, which he kindly gave me. Which, by the way, is one of the most intimidating things I've ever seen. It's like six thousand pages, single spaced, because he's written a billion things, and I was like, "Oh my god, I suck." But I was at least able to take the, the, the format of that, and then I used that to, you know, get a job. The school just seemed uninterested in that. So I love that the high school is promoting the idea of being a working artist as opposed to a suffering or a starving artist, which is bullshit. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, be quiet now. I'm talking too much. I'm sorry to have joined late. Can hey, you George. Hear me? Hey, yeah. George. Hey, I'm sorry to have joined late, but... Um... I was working for the city of Pomona um, with their after school program. And I believe you're right, Tim, that um, one of their representatives from the school of arts and enterprise came and pitched us. And um, I believe that the enterprise portion of that was theoretically that they were going to help you learn how to, you know, actually, you know, work at um, being an artist. That's great. Um, I I have the same criticism of my MFA that, Tim has of his. And in fact, the way I learned how to do a CV is I went to our professional development office on campus after having asked people in my field, you know, uh, my professors, basically, how do I do this? So, you, know, you can figure it out. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, it, 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 I think it's a problem that's endemic to the to arts education. Although Nyla did have some of that. Um, and that was where Stephanie went. Um, oh, okay. You're, you're muted, Stephanie. Stephanie, you're, you're muted. We can't hear you. No, I can't hear you now. There you go. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Great. Um, I was so much enjoying um, what Kate had to say and what Tim had to say, and I think it brings us back to the, the building, mm-hmm. and it really seems to concretize sort of the contradictions that we navigate continually as poets, um, and that is art and gifting, the fact that the mural is a gift by, by a, a fairly well-known artist, this kind of com- problem of kind of commodity, the ways in which the teachers are not getting paid properly, and this whole problem of kind of labor and how the labor that we do gets valued. And I, I just love the, the work that Matt Cedillo does around this because he, he's very open about these issues and he's very frank about saying, if you want me to come and talk to you, you need to pay me because I'm doing, I'm doing labor, I'm doing work. Um, but that's, you're absolutely right, John and, and, to, and George, we don't exactly get taught how to do that. Um, I'm just interested in hearing other people's thoughts about that. 
one of the things that's one of the things that strikes me is I, I remember when I was just starting off and, and practicing in a firm and there's a huge distinction between the professionals and the hourly workers and the hourly workers punched into a time clock. Everything was, you know, regulated and, and reduced to numbers. Whereas the professionals um, were supposed to just do whatever it took to get the job done. And we were the, you know, the lawyers were the professionals. Um, and I mean, we were putting in 80 hour work weeks easy. Um, and, and, you know, we, we didn't get a, we didn't get a bonus for that. We didn't get overtime for that. And I think um, part of the part of the conflict there has to be that, to some extent, as an artist, you know, do you want to get paid, let's say, a flat fee for producing a painting, or do you want to get paid by the hour for your work, for doing your work, not for talking about it necessarily, but for just doing your work? Um, you know, I, I think it's a huge question um, that sort of gets us into all kinds of discussions about capitalism and, and uh, you know, equality and all kinds of things. But but when Tim was talking about, you know, believing in the mission, well, don't we kind of believe in our art? Don't we believe in what we do? And so, therefore, should we think about it in terms of X dollars per hour? I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. As a as an artist, um, yeah, that'd be one of those best of all possible worlds things. Um, you don't get that. Yeah. It's, it's not in the world. It's a possible world. Mm -hmm. uh, some artists do, but most artists, maybe 95% artists, it's a hand-to-mouth existence. And it may be that you're doing real well and you're on an upswing, and you're going to take a lot of money home, uh, but that won't last long. Right. Um, so anyway, there's that aspect. As a teacher, a little bit different thing going on, and I absolutely agree with, with Tim that, that there is an expectation that teachers love children just as much as their parents love them. And because of that, like their parents, they're willing to do whatever it takes. And, you know, some of us went through the culture wars in the 70s. And that's when teacher um, unions came into existence. And it was a hard-fought thing because um, nobody would say it, but everybody knew that there would be um, – less work that would come out of teachers if they could unionize and hold the organization accountable for what they were expected to do. Um, that's another possible world thing because um, nobody could account how much a teacher has to do. Um, they don't, they don't calibrate that. It's, it's part of the, you know, teachers all over the country right now are, are shaking in their boots because maybe they have to go back into a life-threatening situation. Um, but that's just expected. If their teacher union is unable to keep them out, they'll have to go in or quit. And there's just a huge flood of teachers leaving right now. Yeah, this is why I, I hate every single teacher movie I've ever seen. Uh, it always ends with, oh, but it's not about the money. And that's right. The what is the one? Children. The one. We must do it for the children. It always ends right. like that. 
There's one about the woman who uh, founded the Freedom Riders uh, school in L.A. And I can't. Hillary Swank is the star. I watched that with Annette. This is, by the way, I was still an IT guy and hating my life. But I, I was watching that with my wife, uh, Annette, who is a, a high school teacher, was at the time. And uh, I was like, that's like bare minimum, really unhealthy boundaries. Like she just has no boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, Scott uh, Cole and I make fun of that movie all the time. Because <laughs> that's so good to and well, and one of the things uh, Annette told me, and I, uh, I'm taking her at face value because, uh, of course, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna double check that my wife is not lying to me. Uh, but uh, apparently, that woman uh, taught one year. Like, so I guess yeah, you could totally give everything you have, and then a little bit more for a year. But how do you build a career out of that? And the answer is, you don't. You burn out. You die on the job. I mean, whatever. You can't live like that. You can't teach like that. It's also terrible modeling for kids. Yeah. The only way to do meaningful work is to is to immolate yourself. It's it's really. <laughs> I think you know a big part of why you know um, the idea of charter schools is so popular is because you know in this country we have this kind of customers always right mentality. We don't really think of ourselves as workers, or we think of ourselves as customers yourselves as consumers and that kind of constant mentality of like you know get it done now well, i mean because we are we are both you know in, in this economy we're both we're both we're both workers and consumers right that's the way that the wheel keeps rolling but we don't ever see we don't think of ourselves as workers so much i mean i mean we might as we work but like we don't think of other people as workers we think of other people as like you know the cashier who got my order the, the, the cashier got my order wrong or this who did this this this, this, this. and um and we just we're so we're we're raised to be so demanding um, of, of of service, right? Um, I think that's why you see like charter schools. I mean, the only people I hear criticize charter schools are people who work in the teaching profession, like you know what I mean, like or like union organizers. But like for the most part, I hear the general public, you know, have these same type, raise these same type of things. They think well, that's great, you know, like yeah, they work harder, they you know they need to do this, and you know, and, and the school is more invested in my children, and blah 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 blah. And none of that's really true. This principal just gives a speech about like everything that's wrong with public schools and, you know, this is wrong and that's wrong. And, you know, this is not a focus on the children. It's a focus on this, it's a focus on that, or, you know, um, and this is going to be so different. We're going to be visionary here. We're going to streamline. We're going to cut the fat. We're going to, uh, and people like hearing that people like hearing that, like, you know, what, what matters here is your kid. And, um, yeah, we're just raised to be selfish piece of shit. So, I mean, I think that that's kind of like why, why this, why this, uh, why these things thrive. Um, it's interesting though, like when you talk about earlier, we'll come my ear. We talk about the MFA programs, like how they have no, they don't, they don't train people to be professionals. Yeah. I think that's really true. I think that's really, I mean, like every people I know that people I meet, they went through MFA programs. They wonder how, well, how did you do this and how did you do that and how did you do that? And it's just like, um, you know, trial and error. And like you went, you went through an education, you know, you know how many years? I mean, like seven years of education, mm-hmm. and uh, you didn't experience any trial and error. Um, that's that's astounding to me, right? Like you know, you didn't, like you didn't, you didn't actually uh, go through these same kind of hap- you know experiences that I went through haphazardly, you know, just trying to figure things out. Um, but see, the way my mind worked though is not to say isn't it a shame. My, my my mind begins to work like isn't that an opportunity? So I think that you know, like right now, the last few years I've been thinking about ways I could like create like a um, you know like one of these like writers retreat workshop type things, but have the professional element like 
really put into it. Like, here's how you get published. Here's how you do this. Here's how you book I, I know, college. Here's how I know a gallery who would really love to host that. I, I know somebody that could uh, come up with the ideas and, uh, and find some some people to to, to, uh, to lead the workshops. So I don't know. Man, no, I just, I just want to say yeah. that I would. I'm always uh, working. I'm always working. I mean, that's what that's the thing about me. Every day is casual Friday with me. I mean, uh, you know, like <laughs> I, 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 I'm never formal, but I never take a day off either. So <laughs> I would pay good money to be as emotionally uh, stable and and have as healthy an attitude about things as you, Matt. I, I really do admire that about you. I just wanted to pay you that compliment. I, it, you're an impressive. An impressive person because I don't I don't see opportunity. I just get angry and scream, and then uh, you're you're way more effective at getting things done than I am. I love what you said about about the customer is always right because I think that that's so that's so absolutely right on and what's going on in education kind of all the way all the way through. And I also think sometimes that sort of layered or actually underneath that is this kind of puritanical, kind of profound distrust, disdain for anybody who might even maybe call themselves an intellectual in this country. Um, I've lived in a bunch of other places besides the U.S., and I've traveled a bunch of other places, and I'm always struck by how everywhere teachers and poets are more highly regarded and respected than they are here. Um, you tell anybody, kind of any place outside the U.S., you're a poet or a teacher. And if you tell them both, oh, my God, the red carpet's going to get rolled out for you. But here it's like you're a poet. You don't make any money doing that. And you're a teacher. Oh, well, so you must really love it. We go to that. Um, there's a real kind of, again, misunderstanding and sort of disdain for that kind of work. You know, I, I, I find we're talking about movies. It, it's interesting in superhero movies. If you have a graduate degree, you're almost certainly, you know, uh, a killer, an evil person, right? There are very few doctors who are, who are also good. Like Dr. Strange, thank God, you know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but he started out as an asshole. Is that okay? <laughs> he, had to, he had to have his hands. He still is. He had to have his hands physically crippled so that he could no longer be a surgeon. <laughs> and it was his arrogant pursuit to restore the effectiveness of his hands that led him to a path of enlightenment. So it was his capitalist drive that led him to a path of a more spiritual awakening. Not that Tim has thought about this at all, just to make it <laughs> But he's still an enlightened asshole. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's an asshole. That's who he is. <laughs> yes, he's a bit of an asshole, yeah. Yeah. He's a surgeon. Now, listening to a lot of listening to a lot of what's being said um, for years, for several years, I went to school to do television production. Um, so I did television production to the point where I could start going out and doing jobs. And so my three criteria were always: I have to learn something, I have to have fun, or either I have to get paid. But all of those, to me, were forms of payment. So I think that, like, when we're talking about like art especially until you kind of establish some means by which it becomes a business, you know, you have to be open to do things that you learn from, you know? So I, so I don't know. I just, but just listening to it, um, I don't always, and especially me, you know, it's like, I'm not making any money doing poetry, but 
Um, I do look at it as an opportunity, but a lot of times the learning experience and, and the shared experience to me is as important as getting paid. I think that's a great point, George. And thank you for raising, talking about compensation, which is a wonderful word. And you're absolutely right, can mean a lot of different things. And there are many ways, particularly when we're artists kind of learning the ropes, there are many ways that we can get compensated. So thank yeah, you. But, but one of the things that's hurtful is when people don't assign any value. They just assume that you want to donate. You know, and you know what I'm saying is they, they totally overlook the idea that it's a life of experience that went into that work. Well, that's the that's the getting hired on the internet model. I mean, you'll get exposure. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah I, mean, I, would, I would want to say though about that is a lot of people get very cynical about the idea of um, what are we like getting exposure, whatever, and, and I would never use the word exposure because it's 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 so it's so tainted, right? Yeah. But you do have to establish a proof of concept before you get paid. Like you do have to. There's no way around that. You have to establish a proof of concept before you get paid. Way too many people out the gate want this certain kind of money um, that, that people who have developed a long proof of concept, right? A series of, we know exact. I know who you are, I know what you're telling me, I, yes, you, no, we don't have the money right now. Yes, we have the money next spring, okay, right? If you don't have that long resume, you don't have that proof of concept, you haven't done this before, you haven't shown uh, a long stretch of doing it, you have to establish it. Now you can establish proof of concept relatively quickly but that does yeah. not necessarily mean um that you can negate it or you can forego it way too many people like want to just jump in the gate and, and do that and i'm not saying this is like a moral thing i'm not saying it's like a gatekeeper thing i'm not saying this is, i'm saying it just won't work like it, i'm saying this is like from a mechanical viewpoint it's not going to work right yeah. and so there are ways to establish really quick uh um there are ways to establish things really quickly especially today on the internet with visuals and things just make it visually exciting right so, for instance, like, if you want to get booked to, like, perform at universities, what you should do, if you've never performed at any university, don't teach at a university, don't have a book, don't have any of that, what you do is you find your friends who, like, teach at universities. Go do, like, three or four colleges for free. Just just, just, just appear in their, 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 their classrooms. Then it says, and then you can make a graphic. Now the graphic says, as featured at Mount Sac, Cal State LA, uh, uh, Cal State San Bernardino, right? Now you have proof of concept. Now you can go hit up Redlands and ask them for $500. You know what I'm saying? You have, you have to create the visual. You have to create the, the thing around you that says you are a working artist who should be paid. Now you, in order to do that, you need to create um, a body of work that would make someone confident in paying you. Like, there's, there's no way around this. There's just no way around this. Um, and this isn't just for artists. This is for anything. I mean, like, you know, like, um, you know, somebody could drive around a neighborhood and be like a gardener and be like, you see your neighbor? I did that. Like, okay, that looks good. You know, like you have to do, you have to create that. It looks good um, thing. If you want someone to give you money, that's just, that's just, that's the, that's the bottom line period. Matt, Matt could you explain the, the, the idea of proof of concept a little bit more um, in a, in a real clear way that somebody like myself can get it? All right, so so like if you wanted for for instance, so if you wanted to do something with, with painting, right? Bring your portfolio. Bring bring up. I mean, it, it's it, 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 these are not like totally new ideas. Just like bring like you know, I did this. You know, this this you see, see this in Claremont, that was me. You see this in Upland, that was me. You see this, right? It's, it's as simple as that. Bring the material that you have already done, and if you have not already done that, you need to do things quickly, right? Um, and and not worry so much on like how much am I getting paid 
to do yeah. this. Get this done so that you can get paid later. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, get this done, build it up so you can get, get paid later. And you can do it pretty quickly. But I mean, like, if you don't do that, it's not going to happen. Like, that, 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 that's not, it's not a question of like, this is what you should do. This is the right way. And, and, and I'm telling you, I'm telling, but I'm telling you, this is, it won't happen if you don't do it this way. It's, so it's a track record or a resume in whatever form it takes. And you can do it really fast. It mm-hmm. doesn't, it's not hard. You can do it really quickly, but it, it just, it's just a quite, but you, you, it's like a, a step that can't be for, you can't forgo it. I mean, I, 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 maybe you can, maybe you can, but I, I have not seen it done. Right. If you can, then I can learn from you. But like, I, I really have never seen it done where somebody was able to just like out the gates without having a major push from like a publisher or this or that. But then, but then your, your track of record is your book. Right. You know, your track of record is the pressure book guy. Right. So that isn't part of what we have to do in addition to sort of doing that, establishing our track record and then going out and marketing it. Don't we somehow, I mean, if, if you think about it, most people think about art, literature, poetry as luxuries. Mm-hmm. And, and don't we have to somehow also educate people mm-hmm. uh, that that's not what it is? Right, right, right. Something so, else. I, I agree with that. I mean, like with the art and the, and the, and the, and the poetry and the education, I mean, that, that's kind of what you're doing for yourself and, and, and the world and the thing you're participating in. And it's kind of like, linking a chain and a legacy you're trying to be part of them those are all your kind of your artistic ambitions right but when we're talking about specifically about trying to to get money uh, just trying to get money right um the biggest thing i've found is that again like john said earlier find yourself to be the only poet in the room so for tim you know he's coming out with this uh, a book about you know a journey with weight loss and the first thing i would do is look up all the different weight loss conferences that are held right and so if you're going to if you're going to participate in a conference um what you're going to be doing as a poet, right? So I can't speak to other, other fields, but as a poet, you're either going to be opening the entire ceremony or leading some panels and workshops, right? Those are the two things you're going to do. So what you, what you need is, let's say, if you're going to be opening the ceremony, you need a two to three minute poem, maybe at max four minutes. You don't want to be like this rambling epic. You also don't want to be 30 seconds. You want to have something long enough that felt like it was substantive and like moving and also something that like, wow, you know, the, the next person that's going to speak that's going to introduce the, the opening plenary is going to be like, oh, you know, like, wow, let's all take a moment. Wow, that really hit me. You know, my, you know, like, and, and they can get even emotional about what you just said before they introduce the plenary, the plenary, right? That's ideal, right? So you say something that just like just completely wows the audience and sets the whole tone for the conference. That's the service you're providing to this conference. You are setting the tone for the entire conference with your beautiful words, right? So that's kind of the number one thing you're going to be able to do as a poet at a conference and seeking that out. How do you, how do you become the poet laureate of fill in the blank, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's what you do with conferences. That's also what's going to help you get booked at universities, right? Cause they're not po- booking poetry workshop, you know, like this is a great writer workshop, right? They do do that, but you gotta get into another category of writer. You have to get into another category of success before they start like bringing you in and be like, this is the great writer, you know, like, and, 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 and get like these big checks and the, 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 um, the, um, the whatever. So like, but a, a way to get in before you get that is to be the, the, the writer who writes about, right? So the people are coming there, not necessarily just for writing, they're coming there for drug addiction. They're coming there for their interest in the environment. They're coming there for their interest in labor struggles. They're coming there for their interest in legal practices. They're coming there for their interest in California history. They're coming there for their interest in, um, you know, uh, urban planning. They're coming there for their interest in et cetera. You are the poet who writes about this topic. 
and it's a topic that is interesting to them. And like, isn't that interesting? A poet's doing this, right? Um, I, I love to write, write poetry about my passion. You can you can teach me how to write poetry about baseball. Oh my god, you know, like that that sounds fantastic, right? So that's kind of the way to to start to start booking uh, institutions and colleges with that. That's that's the way. That's the thing that you're. That's the value that you're adding and bringing to to, to the, those things. Um, I know this all sounds very like you know, but what about what about you know my, my, what do I want to do? Like we'll, we'll have all that, have all that, but that that's 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 separate. That's a separate question. You know what I'm saying? Like I mean, I'm telling you all this. I you know, and I, I write you know, I write like the most politically charged stuff imaginable. But um, that's a separate thing. It's a separate question. You know, that's a, that's a separate question. That's a you know, that's just a. That's what I. But that's what I market. I market the fact that it's gonna be the most politically hard hitting thing you've ever heard. I'm, I'm marketing that to you. I'm telling you that is what's gonna be. And then you know that's and I and I deliver that. But um, so similarly, uh, but the process uh, can be taken out of the context of of, of whatever the content is. You know, I mean, the separation of the question of process and content. You know, the, the the process of doing this doesn't change just because the topic changes. Interesting. I want a whole bunch of classes that Matt's going to do on these topics. <laughs> and I want Tim Hatch to do all of these, how to write about your journey to wellness, how to write through your surgical journey. I mean, there are all kinds of classes you could do, Tim, you know, for those get those conferences right. that would be loved and uh, that are needed that, I mean, oh gosh, such great stuff. Yeah, interesting. Matt, before you came on, we had just been talking with Tim and his situation um, and made some, you know, some general statements in that direction. You've, you've filled in the, the blanks a lot. Um, we had mentioned that there are Weight Watcher conventions and taking off pounds sensibly conventions, plus all the related surgical Richards, but being able to write your way through those things, that's something that Tim's done. He's, he's, he's got books that of doing that. And he could go say, hey, I'll lead a workshop in, in writing about your upcoming surgery to, to decrease the fear and, and increase the positive outcome. And um, that would be what he could write about, but his credibility is having gone through that experience and then written about it. Right, 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 right. And he also has all the credibility as a published uh, writer as well. So, I mean, there's, there's a number of things, there's a number of like, uh, you know, like artistic credibility versus uh, experiential credibility. When those two come together, you're unstoppable. So what, what I would really think about for, 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 for Tim is not just the conventions. I would also think about what you're talking about as a common, commonly experienced uh, problem, commonly experienced uh, issue. Um, so what that would really target for you, and this is something that's kind of like I've never been able to crack into, is weak welcome. A weak welcome for university, they got all kinds of money. They have all kinds of money. And most of that goes to people who are dealing with like drug addiction, um, homesick. It's, it's called a week of welcome? Yeah, like every big university has this. Uh, like, you know, like UC, all the UCs, all of, you know, private, they have week of welcome. And when they have the week of welcome, they're, they're talking to in, incoming freshman classes about like um, about like drug addiction, about 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 alcoholism, about homesickness, about like you know time management, you know, all these kinds of things that like young people might want to hear. Um, but I don't really know anybody that's cornered or, or really like gone into like you know uh, talking about like uh, food issues or or, or or relationships to eating and stuff like that. 
So, I mean, that would be, like, something to really, like, because they got major budgets for Week of Welcome, like, major, major budgets. Because hmm. um, it's the it's first. like a good niche for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to Google that right now. I, I, I like how we started our discussion on the arts and enterprise art. Uh, but, of course, what we got to is the enterprise, and, and we're <laughs> – <laughs> which is great. I mean, this is a conversation that, that should be happening in those kinds of schools. Um, how are we going to make it, it, as I said, Actually, you know, I got a chance to speak there one time when I was brought in by Will Bissick, um, uh, who was like kind of in charge of their, their, uh, the, the enterprise part, part. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I was able to talk about, um, some of this stuff with the, with the, with the young people there on the enterprise side. I, mean, I don't know how well they teach their teachers. I mean, I mean, how well they treat their teachers. I imagine it's not well. I mean, I've heard stories. So, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say anything because I mean, like, Will's my friend, so I don't want to, like, you know, be like, that's his employer. I don't want to be like, whatever. So, like, but yeah, I, I've heard stories too. But, um, but you know, as far as like uh, the, the the idea of teaching artists enterprise alongside. Um, that 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 thing i mean until we live in a better society it's kind of a necessary thing i mean until we live in a society that would appreciate art more that would give artists stipends that would keep artists alive you are going to have to like find a way and and in finding a way um there are some there are some techniques i've learned along the way both by i you know develop myself and also just i've heard from other working artists that they won't tell they won't tell other people you know what i'm saying like there's a lot there's there's this thing too and I I don't know if this is an American thing or if this is true around the world, but there's this, this thing of like I'm not gonna tell you anything you don't already know. <laughs> I think that the, along this journey, I'm not gonna give you any information that you don't already kind of know. I'm gonna give you my take on something that's very familiar to you, right? right, right, right. Like really hoard information, and they're like they don't want to they don't want to let you know something unless it's very clear to them that you you know a version of it, and then they'll tell you your their version of it, and then you're like, oh okay okay. Um, me, I try to give out this information freely because I, I figure like my, my, my mentality is that the more people that can participate in things that, that means the, 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 the larger, um, I don't want to say market, but the larger the world of it expands, right? Um, as opposed to like, all right, there's precious few outlets. There are way too many of us. And um, I let out the secrets. More people will be able to get those outlets. You know, That's my, view. my view is the more of us are capable of doing this, the more outlets that we create. I I agree with that. It you said uh, until we are living in a better world that appreciates art and artists, and I feel like, and I could be wrong, and then I I know I'm not the oldest person here, so someone feel free to correct me. But if you look at just shit walking around downtown Pomona, that whole area was designed. There was a point where we were we were willing to sink public money into things with an aesthetic. There was no revenue being generated by carving uh, uh, sculptures into concrete benches in downtown Pomona. No one made a dime of profit off of that. They did it because it looked good. If you drive along the 101 freeway, uh, parts of the 101 freeway in Los Angeles, like the the rails are these beautiful rails there's an architecture to that an aesthetic sensibility to that and you can see that in older parts of town if you go into uh, downtown san bernardino and look at the you know uh, uh city hall the libraries down there um those are all beautifully made buildings and then if you look at any concrete building made in the last 20 years 
it is a butt ugly concrete tilt up slab. Um, and I, I, something happened. I guess what I'm saying is I feel like when I was a kid, and I don't mean like in the golden days, because fuck that. But I mean, like, when I was younger, I feel like the world still gave a rat's ass. Our society still gave a rat's ass about an aesthetic and artistic appeal. And it didn't matter if it made, it didn't matter if it was utilitarian or not. It didn't matter if it made money or not. And uh, that is, that seems to be gone. Like the only time you see architecture, modern architecture that really blows your mind is when uh, you are dealing with a private organization that wants to make a point or a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, when's the last time you saw a city hall where you were like, wow. And that city hall was built in the last 30 years. I mean, anyway. That was just a, uh, I don't know, it, I'll say largely pointless tangent, but that was one of the things that uh, your comments sparked in me. I feel no. like that world is attainable. I don't know how to get back to it. I, I, I remember when they started taking down Millard Sheets uh, murals off of Home Savings, right? And it just like shocking and awful. What they were, idiots. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the latest... Excuse me, John. It's, to, you know, one way of looking at, at the point that Tim just raised would be to look at a case example. And one case example would be the city of Pomona itself. And the, Tim, those, those things along um, 2nd Street that you're talking about, the public works yeah. uh, things, that area, when I... When I got back from Vietnam, I spent about six months drinking beer and shooting pool down there. And um, it was butt ugly at that point. And then they decided they were going to make it a a walking uh, shopping area. Okay, so, right. so they closed off streets and they put in all of the fountains and the seating and and decor, murals and stuff. The whole purpose of that was to bring shoppers back to Pomona because at that point, nobody wanted to go back down to Pomona. There were big shopping malls going in. What time, what period of time was this? The 70s? 60s, early 70s. Yeah, okay. Late 60s. Um, so, so then that didn't really take. I mean, it, it didn't, mission was not accomplished. It fell short. Um, a few more shoppers Stores are still closing. And then the area followed many urban uh, paths and just fell apart. It looked like somebody had, had dropped a, a Beirut bomb uh, right in the middle of, of the downtown Pomona. At that time, I was, I was traveling around and giving a lot of talks. And I'd fly into places, largely urban places, and I would be driven through these areas that were just, the inner cities were just shit. Then somebody got the idea of, of attracting artists who work for nothing. They may not be able to pay rent, but they, they start a little bit of financial flow in, and they start, start, uh, picking the place up and then businesses support them show up and then galleries show up and then bars show up. And then, then you have restaurants and then you have uh, the same kind of thing that we saw in Pomona. 
So uh, about 20 years ago, you began to see these art centers in all of the urban, devastated urban centers. Uh, they were just trying to generate money. They were trying to pull it out. And and then we've, we've gotten to play. Pomona quite isn't there yet. And a lot of places became gentrified. Mm-hmm. And so the artists couldn't afford it anymore. They had to move out. Right. Because then you had businesses that could maintain. Um, it's about the money. So that that's interesting. So the, the, the part of Pomona that I am specifically thinking about did have a financial goal. They oh, were absolutely. That's interesting. I, I, did, Tessier, I would not have known that. The Tessier it's also, family. It's also the part, isn't it, um, Ken, Kate? Um, it's part of the kind of defunding of public works that really gets going during the Reagan administration. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nixon wants to do some of that, but doesn't <laughs> gets you know, has the impeachment thing, you know, can't quite get to it. But that's really what the Reagan administration is all about is privatization, pulling money out of kind of public works, not being interested in any kind of um, collectivity. And so we're kind of reaping that. Um, the thing that I also am thinking, though, listening to you all, listening to you, Tim, speaking very passionately about the, about the fencing along the 101, I want all of us, we're all poets, I want us all to write about the beautiful buildings that we care about. Mm. If we ha- And I haven't. And just listening to you, you talk, um, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the New York Public Library that I grew, that I grew up going to. I think yeah. about buildings in Seattle that are amazing. And I'm thinking about there's some cool buildings here on the island. And that part of the, again, what kind of, what can we do in terms of pushing people to think about this is to write about it. Yeah, good point. I like that idea. Yeah, that's good. You know, one one of the things that occurs to me, like throughout this conversation, is that um, between Reagan and now, um, the United States has become um, like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge or something. Anything that is artistic or um, altruistic or whatever becomes unnecessary. And one of the things that occurs to me is, like, say, with the with the death of George Floyd the graphic nature of protest, whether it be signs or whether it be, you know, painting Black Lives Matter down the roadway or all of the images of him that have occurred. um, I think that as artists, um, you may have a time where you are cherished and applauded or either you may have a time where you're part of the protest in a way. And I feel like that's where we're at. Like there's a change going on. And um, we see all of the people who are drawn out. I think that America is trying to make a choice. Do we want to be decent or do we just want to have a bunch of millionaires who, billionaires who, who are living way above all the rest of the populace? And so it's just like when you're saying about writing poems about the buildings you love, that's what I see kind of like as our job. Yeah, we got to point out the bad stuff, but also maybe we can put a thought in a person's mind about something they go past every day and don't really appreciate. I love that you brought us back to the murals, George. Yeah. You started with that building that has is painted over, and you've brought us back so beautifully to those incredible that incredible public art that's yeah. being made by people to remind us 
of the people we've lost and to remind us of what 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 the potential is. So that's exactly. Exactly. And that's what I think. I think a lot of times like art is pointing you towards that potential. You know, I, I think I think we've got a good challenge for all of us for next week. Uh, at least one poem. Uh, the place where I live. Right. The, the, the buildings that I love, that kind of thing. Um, and I think that that'd be a, an extraordinary kind of uh, thing that we could maybe get together and celebrate and do that thing. I think, George, you're talking about a not utopian, but uh, a, a, a beautiful vision of, of what it could possibly be, right? Not just what's wrong, but also what, where should we be going? What should we be doing? Well, I, saw, I saw something today and they said 50 per, 56% of the national budget is going towards military spending. Yeah. And it was like 1% is going towards fighting COVID. It, it was like 1.5 or something. But, you know, I mean, that's what we're, you know, you know what I'm saying is like, that's the battle in a way. Yeah. Because a lot of like, and not, not talking about just like this utopia, but just to, you know, art is important, you know, just to acknowledge it and to fund it. Which is coming down to less of a program, less of a finished state endpoint that we're looking for, but rather a way of helping ourselves and others change the way we see the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I want to take it real quick back to the whole mural thing too, by plugging uh, Juan Delgado's, uh, it's actually not just him, but the book is Vital Signs. Yeah. I don't know if it even, that looks backwards on my camera, but anyway, That's Vital good. Signs. That's good. Um, it's a it, it's a book of uh, ekphrastic poetry and photography by uh, the photography is by Thomas McGovern, and then the poems are by Juan Delgado, who is a friend and, and one of my former teachers. And uh, it a lot of the pictures of the murals from like San Bernardino area are now gone since the publication of this book, which won an American Book Award, by the way. Um, hmm. And the, the poetry, Juan's a great poet, um, but there is, uh, uh, I don't know, I, and I'm not saying this because I owe Juan money or anything. I'm just saying that there is something important about uh, the murals that we see in our local neighborhoods. And uh, we kind of tend to think of them like the Millard Sheets art on uh, the various banks and whatever other buildings we tend to think of them, I think, as, uh, oh, yeah, well, that's just going to be there forever, and it's not. Um, whether it's some locally painted thing or, uh, you know, some, by a recognized artist, it's, it's temporary. And, I mean, that's the nature of life, but there's something really important about it. And, uh, I, uh, I, you know, at some point, the School of Arts and Enterprise is going to be blue, just blue, because someone got tired of looking at, that amazing mural on the side of the building because it didn't fall in line with whatever their values were that year. And then that's just going to be gone. So uh, vital signs by Juan Delgado. I'm just, it's a really good read. Um, Tim, it's not the side of the building. The mural's the whole entire building. The whole entire building. Okay. Yeah. I believe um, that. I just haven't looked, I haven't actually set eyes on that building in probably a year. Well, I think that's a that's a great place to, to end for this week. And um, thank you all. This was a great discussion and went uh, all over the place. So, <laughs> we, we will we will see you all next week. All right. <laughs>